0: From interviews and investing to careers and credit, we've got you covered. Wallet Watch is a podcast brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. We'll be interviewing industry experts,
1: sharing personal stories, and even playing some fun games. Delivering financial topics in an enjoyable and interesting way. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica.
0: And I'm Amanda. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back Wallet Watch listeners, I'm very excited for this episode today. We have a really amazing guest joining us. Um, She is our first guest of the season, so Jess and I are very excited. But we are going to be talking about communication and being able to have successful conversations with others. So today I'm gonna to welcome Rebecca Mercado-Jones. She is an associate professor in the Department of Communication, Journalism, and Public Relations at Oakland University. And her area of expertise is in the broad field of communication, culture, and gender. So thank you, welcome Rebecca.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Would you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself?
2: Sure, yes. As you said, I my Broadly, I'm interested in communication and I teach a lot of general communication courses, but I also teach in the areas of critical cultural communication studies. So one of the classes that I teach most often is a course called multicultural communication. And there it's not really cross-cultural communication like the name implies. It's really about like, how does the culture in which we live impact the way that we talk about social identity? how we talk about race and class and gender and ability and things like that. And then I also teach in our women and gender studies department. This semester I'm teaching women and gender studies 1000, which is just the intro, but I've also taught in both communication and women and gender studies, cross listed courses. We our program has a master's program, so I get to teach anywhere from the introduction to communication studies courses, all the way up to our master's levels classes so it's really it's a lot of fun I really enjoy it
1: that's awesome thank you well we're excited to have you thank you thank you for coming on our podcast Thank you for being one of our first guests yes I'm honored to do so absolutely so to kind of dive in with our talk today we really kind of wanted to start off and get your opinion on what are some keys to communication
2: I think a lot about and I talk a lot about in all of the different courses that I teach about what we call these axioms of communication which are truths about communication and you know not only do I talk about them in my class it's because I believe in them philosophically for myself and some of those axioms are like for instance that we cannot not communicate that we're always already communicating you know it's something that's continuous it's ongoing right? We're always communicating even when we're saying nothing at all through our eyes, our facial expressions, our body posture. Uh, Another thing that I think about, I mean, in terms of like having fulfilling relationships is this other communication axiom, which is that communication is irreversible. You know, once you say something, you can't unsay it. You can apologize it away, but you can't ever unsay the things that you said. So whenever I'm in a deeply passionate argument or a deeply passionate conversation I try to maintain some level of awareness that like you know my ego needs to take a backseat to that communication axiom you know what, what gets said can never be unsaid which is very difficult for me to do. Uh, also there is this other communication kind of it's not an axiom but rather just something that I believe philosophically. I used to have this professor in grad school who used to say that studying the philosophy of communication is like studying what it means to be a good human being. And so one of the things that I always think about is, you know, well, a few things. One is that I always believe in the transformative potential of a good conversation. You know, ever since I was a young child, I've always loved meeting strangers and having really meaningful conversations with them. And then them kind of vanishing into the ether, you know, never seeing them again or never experiencing them again, but also thinking about the things that they said or the things that they told me and and holding on to them indefinitely because uh, I have this very creepy memory where I remember things that people said, people's faces, people's names for a very long time. So I've always believed in the transformative potential of a conversation, but also, you know, that that there is this kind of universal experience that we all have that you know we all have the same desires for love and belonging you know that there really isn't any human being on the planet that doesn't have on some level this desire to be seen to be loved to be heard you know to belong Um, so these things are kind of at the heart philosophically at the thing the classes that I teach and why I think communication is just It's a vital life skill that I get to teach at the college level, you know?
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I definitely learned something. It's been a while since I've had a college class and been like thinking about communication. I know Jess and I were preparing these questions and we're like, what is communication? We better just ask Mm -hmm. her that. Yeah. But I love that you share the idea that conversations that you've had, you just remember forever. Yeah. I agree. I have memories of those both you know, positive, impactful things. And then other things that I'm like, wow.
2: Yeah, yeah, like bad things that kind of anchor your sense of identity. You know, that's why that communication axiom is so important to remember that like good and bad, uh, that what you say is irreversible and you never know what's going to stick. You know, I I try to be especially mindful about that with my children. I have two small children. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Yeah, it's something that I take very seriously. That you know, you never know what the small things that you say in passing or in jest or thoughtlessly how that's going to impact their sense of identity, their personality, the way that they think about themselves, the way they think about their relationship with me, um, and how they carry that on to their relationships. I guess you know to kind of sway that that sense of heaviness. I just try to remember, you know. What I say, for the most part, is within my realm of control. And so remember, communication is irreversible, you know? yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if you think about, you know, from your own personal standpoint, like the conversations that you've had with people um, that shaped your own sense of identity. How do I think about myself? How do I feel about myself? Who am I? Right? All of those kinds of questions that we ask, these like deep philosophical questions that we're asking ourselves. Are usually answered by like conversations we've had, sometimes with strangers who don't even know us, right? So, so I guess when I think about communication studies, I'm thinking about yes, conversations, but also this morning I was teaching in my public speaking class. the The um, theme of the week is nonverbal communication, and so this morning I spent my time and my my energy thinking about nonverbal communication and about all the things that we say without saying a word at all, you know, and how I, th- I think that I carry that with a sense of seriousness that probably other people don't because I study human behavior and I'm paying attention to people's nonverbal behaviors and I'm, 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 I'm noticing things that maybe other people don't notice, but I'm also thinking about how that can be a real tool for us. if you if you If you're thinking about it, consciously thinking about your nonverbal behavior, you can think about the ways that your nonverbal behavior makes people feel. And to me, that 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 is important, right? That quintessential Maya Angelou quote that, you know, people will forget what you say or what you do, but they'll never forget the way that you make people feel. And so I I think nonverbal, aha, that's a real tool, you know, that's at our disposal to, to think about how we make other people in the room feel. Oh, wait make the people who are most important in our lives feel.
1: I love that. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to everything that you're saying and I'm thinking about growing up. I think about all the conversations having with my family. You know, we're we're taught as children to not listen to words Mm. and you know, sticks and stones will break our bones Mm. but words will never hurt us. And what you said, you know, the words what gets said can never be unsaid. Yeah. That sticks yeah. like glue because we think about, you know, from a young age, we are taught. We are taught yeah. to not listen to those words. We're taught yeah. to look at just action and mm-hmm. instead of realizing that words can be painful, hurtful, yeah. wonderful. yes, You know what I mean? So that yeah. really, that really stuck
2: out for me. Yeah. You know, so I do think it's funny because when I first started teaching, I was old enough to be their sister. But now that I'm a little bit older, uh, you can't tell from my voice for those who are listening. But now that I'm a little bit older, there's, there's I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing the generational divide. And I realize that the students of today, they are not raised with the same idi- idioms that you and I were raised with you know, that whole sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me or I'm rubber and you're glue. And whatever you say bounces off me and sticks back to you. They don't hear those things because, right. I feel like generationally or culturally, I should say, culturally, we've understand that that's actually a lie. You know, that what you say to me actually, actually does stick. And so you need to think about intentionality. One of the other things that I meant to say at the beginning of the podcast that I think for me has been a a career-long struggle is thinking about the relationship between intent and impact. Like, you know, that is at the heart of communication, right? Like, where does meaning lie? Is it about your intent or is it about about the potential impact of my words? And so, yeah, I mean, I think ideally, meaning lies in some space between us, right? That you are simultaneously thinking about what is my intention and having and, and giving me the benefit of the doubt but also I need to be concerned very deeply with the way that 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 I impact other people, that what I say and how I make people feel impacts them, you know? So so yeah, those those idioms that we grew up with, it, I, they're, not, they're not true, right? No. And so I, I'm glad that 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 my students for the most part have never heard or weren't raised with really what is a lie a cultural lie that you know sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me no they do hurt you know that they matter i feel like uh my my niece when she was 11 years old she said some real deep things to me that i hold on to in this conversation that i was having with her in the car and she's like words matter and I was like, oh, oh, yes, I know I say that all the time. But you saying that back to me, you know, is a is a is a powerful reminder. But then also she was reminding me to not assume gender. And I was like, OK, all right, 11 year old. <laughs> He's like, give this WGS professor a dose of her own medicine, <laughs> if you will. Right. That uh, So generally, generationally speaking, like the, the culture has shifted, that there's a mm-hmm. real cultural shift there that that we're finally seeing and experiencing, which is good, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it gives me a lot of hope too. Yeah, yeah, that I feel like sometimes when I'm interacting with those that are younger than me, I'm like, wow, you have so much more figured out at this age that I wish when I was your age, I had that much kind of figured out. Yeah. Just took me a little bit longer, but that's okay. Yeah. And I think too, what you're talking about with impact versus intention, I think most likely as humans we have relationships with all different types of people and relationships can be different whether yeah. it's, you know, maybe you have a roommate, maybe you do have children and you're a parent, maybe you have really strong groups of friends and navigating through those relationships conversations happen. and difficult conversations can happen. And I think for some people, you know, as financial educators, we're a little bit more comfortable talking about money than most people might be. Yeah. But how would you suggest we begin having difficult conversations with people we have relationships with?
2: Yeah. You know, I was preparing for that question. I was thinking about how important it is really to have a sense of introspect about yourself. You know, like, figuring out like what is your both your communication style and your conflict style because when you do talk about hard difficult things like money or sex or you know relationships or I think it's important to think about like what is my communication style one and then what is my conflict style how do I manage conflict because it's gonna go from communication to conflict you know quite quite quickly And for me, I am a very conflict-aggressive woman. I do not shy away from conflict. I have always loved a good debate, and I don't back down. That has served to my benefit and to my detriment, as you can imagine. And, you know, there are people in my life, I would say my husband is the exact opposite. I would say that he's probably a lot more conflict-avoidant than I am. And I have always had to have a certain level of consciousness about that. Like I have to be aware of the fact that I am a very conflict aggressive person. I don't believe in sweeping anything underneath the rug. And if something's here, if I can feel it, feel it in the air, I want to name it. And I want to talk about it. And my husband's not that way. And so I think after six years of knowing myself and knowing my own communication style, my own conflict, style and how that pairs with his, which is the exact opposite. I've learned what works. And so I think step number one is figuring that out for yourself. You know, I don't want to go down on this tangent, but I think as a society, we're not, we don't value introspect on that kind of level. And so a lot of people are not acquainted with yeah, what, what is my communication style? And what is my, conf, my, my level of comfort with conflict? And because of that, they like, you know, walk into these conversations, right? Really uh, without that level of awareness. So the first step I would say is about figuring that out for oneself and then thinking through what is the other person that I'm speaking to? What's their conflict style? What's their communication style? Are they... The kind of people who like to avoid 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 in which case I need to use a certain level of caution and a certain level of gentleness here than I would for my other friends who are just like me right That are also very conflict aggressive so I'm thinking about that but also I have learned that for me and this is for me and I think for others what is left unsaid is usually more dangerous than what was left said, which is contradicting what I said earlier, right? That communication is irreversible. But, right, communication also, like, when you when you think about moments in time where you have deep regret or remorse about something, it's... For me, it's always been moments when I didn't say the thing that I wanted to say, the thing that I wish I had said. So, So I also allow that hard lesson that I have learned to inform my conversations with others, particularly the hard conversations.
1: What would you recommend if someone didn't know their communication style or their conflict management style? How would somebody go about learning about that or recognizing
2: that about themselves? there are a lot of different uh, communication styles and conflict styles are one of the oldest research things in the field of communication so there are a lot of tests out there available to you you don't necessarily have to buy a communication textbook to take those tests you can find one on the internet and you can think and it's a lot of scenario-based you know kinds of questions and then that will help you assess whether or not you know are you at heart, a people pleaser. Are you willing to stifle your own opinions and thoughts and feelings in order to clear the air, or you know, are you somebody who likes likes to meet conflict head on, right? And those those quizzes exist out there. <laughs> those quizzes exist out there um, so that you can measure, so that you can have a little level or a certain level of of awareness about your both your communication style and your conflict style. I think that's important
1: yeah it allows you to be aware Absolutely. it allows you to. it goes back to that intentional conversation yes. um if you can walk into a conversation with somebody that you're prepared to conversate with them yes. and you know yeah. where to kind of meet them at then mm-hmm. i feel you're going to be able to have the best conversation yeah. you can have
2: yeah and you know like in terms of relationships i feel like it takes a long time to really know someone and you know and sometimes person that we think we are isn't the person that we actually are and it takes a long time I think for you to be able to sort through that about someone else like how does the person that this the perception that this person has of themselves how does that differ from who they actually are and that's I mean that's always true right we have our idealized self and then our actual selves and there's a split there for sure right so some of that is like about just time You know time to to learn someone but but then you know there are things that can help you speed up the process which are like these quizzes that exist out there that both you and your partner can take so that you can work through these things and of course you know never underestimate the importance of talk therapy right to to build stronger relationships not just talk therapy for relationships that are in trouble but talk therapy for relationships that 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 have yet to meet that kind of trouble you know
0: I think too it can be valuable to have that knowledge about yourself mm. on a professional level too yes. and be able to say to your management yes. or your leadership this is my communication style this yeah. is how I would like you to give me feedback yes. this is how I plan to communicate be yes. more successful yeah I mean, so
2: this semester I'm teaching public speaking and I've been away from public speaking is the kind of the cornerstone class of the field. And I've been away from it for a long time. And now that enrollment is down, we're back in these kind of intro level classes that we had been away from for a long time. And one of the things that I'm really observing now that I'm very sensitive to is the way that I give feedback today is very different from the way that I gave feedback 10 years ago when I first started teaching that class. Excuse me, 14 years ago when I started teaching that class. You know, when I first started teaching public speaking, I was 22 years old. I was rough, rough around the edges and and culturally life was different, right? We hadn't survived through a pandemic where people mental health are in a much more fragile place today on average than they were 10-14 years ago. Now I am very, very much aware that my students are different, different from the students that I taught on average 10 years ago and people are struggling. I get emails from students all the time about the struggles that they're experiencing right now. And I mean, did those mental health struggles exist 10 years ago? Certainly, but but culturally, big things have happened that have challenged us, that are challenging us. And so the way that I give feedback now is so much more gentler. It's more, in a, I frame it more so that feedback in a form of suggestion. Consider this, whereas before I would have been like, you're kind of monotone. You might want to work on some vocal variety. Now I'm like, You know, consider some vocal variety, consider changing your pitch, consider changing your rate, you know, things like that. It's just gentler. And I I think as a person in a position of power, professor, student, it's my responsibility to go into those situations knowing and acknowledging that I have that power over my students. And, you, you know, like Uncle Ben Parker says, you know, using with great power comes great responsibility. And so thinking about that power that I have and being responsible with it, right? Like consider the way that you give feedback to other people independent of who they are and the way that they deal with conflict, right? And I think too, I know we were talking about this before the podcast began, but, you know, we have just spent two years behind a computer screen where we were probably concerned a little less with how our feedback is felt without all of those nonverbal cues to see the way that our words impacted other people. And so we had the ability to be oblivious about feedback, but now, I mean, we're we're starting to transition back to a face-to-face life. And so, you know, Enter into every situation, every communication, interaction with a certain level of of responsibility for thinking about how does my intent matter, but not as much as my impact does, right?
0: Yeah, it's been a, a rough couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, and personally, like I struggle with the technology and communication through videos and yes. chats and emails and it's not my favorite. So, yeah. I am very excited to get back in yeah. person with people cuz I rely on that non-verbal yes. communication when someone's talking to me to understand yeah the communication fully.
2: Yes. And you know, I mean in the professional world, I think about this a lot too. Like thank god for emojis, you know, because they help give us a little sense of that non-verbal, but in the workplace, in professional emails. I'm I'm not sending happy face emojis. I'm not sending, you know, I'm not sending the like angry face emojis or, you know, the like, I don't even know how to read this, you know, the squiggly mouth emoji. I'm not sending those, right? And so you're left without context, without <laughs> any kind of context as to how to interpret a potential message. And so, um, yeah, that's tricky, you know, really, I mean, be purposeful, be intentional about um, how might this be felt, <laughs> this message be felt, be interpreted.
1: I think taking a second to think about that because you know, intention versus perception, yes. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about that.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and things have definitely, I, I literally is sitting here talking about like, um, Thinking about my son, who's 13, hasn't not had a normal school year since sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he's going to be a freshman next year. And it's, it's wild. You know, I'm glad, you know, we're getting to that point where we are back more face-to-face because I'm very much so a people person. (laughs) I never realized how much I thrive just being around people knowing. Amanda's a desk away and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? You know, communication people, all of that versus just sitting behind a screen.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you know, like middle school years, informative in good and bad ways, right? Like I think about middle school, I cringe about some of my choices, uh, but also, you know, I need to cringe about some of my choices so that I have that hard lesson to do better, to be better to say things differently and to think about, right? impact. And so there's so many hard lessons learned in middle school. So that's Oh yes. You know, it's 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 a real shame that you know, so many kids at so many pivotal moments in their life are 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 being cheated really, you know, being cheated out of some experience that you and I got to have differently. Mhm. For sure. One thing I wanted to
1: ask you mm-hmm. is we've you touched on so much with talking about communication between relationships. Do you have any other strategies with managing conflict with having those difficult conversations when it revolves around finances? Yeah. Or any tips on talking about yeah. finances and managing those
2: conflicts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I like the way that you broke it down via relationships because I feel like my my advice would be different depending on those different relationships, right? There are conversations that you can have in a more vulnerable way with your partner who knows and and you know, impacts directly impacts your financial lively your livelihood, right? That you might not have with your friends for instance right like your friends maybe you maintain a certain level of privacy but privacy mixed with i mean in your case the financial literacy that you know is so important and so invaluable that must be shared right so how do you i mean i guess that's a good question maybe for me to turn back to you it's like how do you navigate you know maintaining some kind of level of privacy about how much money you have and what kind of debt you have and um, you know, your how much money you make with also giving your friends the gift of financial literacy that you know is so invaluable, right? It's very difficult to do. I mean, I, I grew up very working class and you know, now I do have some semblance of financial literacy because I actually have money to save. That, that was something I never experienced before. And so, you know, I under—I am learning so much, but also at the same time, I am so angry about how little I knew and how few the opportunities were far in between to learn about financial literacy. And now that I, you know, am, am in a different place financially, I also realize that, like, this is the way that capitalism is designed to keep poor people poor, <laughs> and rich people rich i also understand that i'm at a bank right now you know it's it's a gentle negotiation you know you want to you want to be able to tell people how to save their money or, or you want to be able to share with people the best ways to save their money for their futures while also understanding that some of your friends have nothing saved for their future nothing and you know You don't want to be flashy about the fact that you have money to save, but at the same time, you also want them to understand how important it is, you know, that if you can scrape just a hundred dollars a month into some kind of savings account so that you have the propensity to retire at some point, you know, and that $100 today is gonna be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars 20 years from now, you know, it's it's very tricky. And one of the things that I, I tried to te- teeter on because I think that is a gentle balance is that what are the things that I wish I had known before I was in this position? And if that requires me to be a little vulnerable about how much debt we have or how much money we have, without being explicit about that, then I, I always teeter, I mean, because I am at heart an educator. Right? At heart, I am an educator and that is, that is the heart of my being. And so, you know, if it's an opportunity for me to share what I know with other people who I know don't have access to that information, then I am willing to maybe compromise my privacy a bit to give them something that is m- more valuable. Than my privacy than protecting my privacy right again I, I think it's all it's all this conversation is all context dependent because I'm talking about in this case friends but you know with my my children they're two and five so don't think much about money right now but certainly I I am very aware of the fact that their childhood looks very different than the one that I was accustomed to, and that they are having experiences not only that I never had, but that other people, most people don't have. I mean, just, you know, having internet access, for instance, right? Like, or fresh, drinkable, clean water. Like, I want them to have a sense of awareness about that, about the gifts that are given to them not because they worked really hard for it but because simply they were born into this particular family you know in this particular geographical location I want them to have some level of sense aware of awareness about those privileges without also making them feel guilty about having those privileges but also thinking about guilt as being unproductive and and thinking about it as, as not as guilt for having these privileges but what is my responsibility i'm not a religious person but one of my but i had a very religious upbringing and um one of the things that haunts me from that religious upbringing because i think it does have some universal meaning for everybody regardless of your religious affiliation but to to whom much is given much is expected right and I want them to have that kind of etched into their brains, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, and that it's all of our responsibilities to to make the world a better place with whatever resources we were given, right? So it just depends, I guess. So much of my advice too, I think, is about knowing your relationship with that person because your relationship with each individual person is different. you your relationship with one friend is very different from your relationship with another friend or even family members, right? Like my sister knows a different version of me than my aunts do, you know, and, and realistically, it's supposed to be that way. And so all of this advice, I mean, I guess my, my core piece of advice is know that relationship and trust the meaningfulness of that relationship before you go into that conversation with other people. I don't know if that completely answers your question
1: it does and and I love that I mean because really these super tough conversations are usually with people we love the most I mean especially when directed around finance you know our families Mm -hmm. our significant others our children you know I my 13 year old right now we're trying to teach him so what are you gonna do this with your summer Because well, you're not going to sit around and play video games. So what do you want to do this summer? And he's like, yeah. well, I'd like to learn how to mow lawns. And there is a, a gentleman in our our, our subdivision. Yeah, He's going to be graduating and going to college. And he had told Dominic that I'll give you all of my clients if I'm going to be going to college. And I'm like, so we started talking to him about what it would be like to build yeah. a business. And... You know, if you learned how to mow the lawns and did a good job and started earning money and doing these things and then, you know, getting him a checking account so he can manage, you know, and see the money coming into his account. Because I think right now, with just having it in a piggy bank or a wallet, he doesn't realize the value or the impact of it coming in or just, I need to spend it on this one last video game, mom. Versus I think if he sees it in an account and sees it fluctuating going oh maybe I don't want to spend my money on that because maybe I'm saving for this really yeah. big thing or yeah. you know I said you're 13 have you thought what are you going to do for a car what you know all of yeah. all of those really cool things yeah. and so I definitely
2: think it's important having those different conversations yeah. you know something that you're saying too because I'm thinking well what about college 13 yeah, like the cost and uh, you know the conversations we were having before we started the podcast it's like I think this is one of the real tensions between you know my working class upbringing and you know now I would say you know where our middle class realities which is like do you pay for your kids do you help support your kids as college tuition and this is this is a real tension because I think the lessons the loudest lessons learned are different in those two different economic realities. I believe wholeheartedly that you should invest in your kids' college education. As little as you have to, or as much as you can, like as little as you can, even if it's a matter of $10 a week, and sometimes that's asking too much, you know? I understand that many people out here are just simply surviving. So, if it's a dollar a week, you know, I, I believe wholeheartedly that it is my responsibility as my kids as parents to invest in their education because this is the very real and assured ways foolproof ways right that we can we can transition a family from from poverty to a different to a different economic reality and so many people disagree with that many people believe and i've heard it all my life that if you pay for your kids' college tuition, they are gonna squander it. I mean, as a college professor, I can't tell you how many people have told me that. And that is simply not true. On average, it is not true. I'm not saying that those realities don't exist, they do, but realistically, right? Like paying for your kids' college education does not necessarily mean that they are gonna squander that opportunity. And this is one of the very real ways that people move generationally from one economic reality to another so and and it's also one of the very real ways in which it keeps people in conditions of poverty and that cycle continues right i mean i'm i'm not one to shame people on how they spend their money but i am one to have people please consider what the the dividends and the the dividends that investing in your kids' education could have. And I'm not just saying college either, because as a college professor, I also am very intimately aware that um, college is not for everybody. And I agree with that 100%. College is not for everybody. But a trade school also costs money oftentimes. There are free apprenticeship positions, but trade school also costs money, you know. So providing your kid with with a degree or a certificate, debt-free, sets them up for financial realities that the kid who is squandered with $100,000 worth of debt, those are two different lived realities. One can afford to start saving to buy a house. And we know, right? You know that the way to a new economic reality is through home ownership, right? And so I... This is, this is a very real tension, conflict, I think, that is ongoing in in both my family and friend circles that I am very adamant when I give my nieces and nephew money for their birthday. I'm not a gift giver because I write in the card often, you know, that you'll outgrow clothes and toys, but you will never outgrow a college degree. And I, I don't think that it's always appreciated, and I don't think people not everybody likes that, but it's, it is true. It is true. You will never outgrow a degree or some kind of training, right? Some kind of training to get you in the financial position that you want to be in. So it's, it it is a tension and it is one that I, that I navigate carefully. But again, in my educator's heart, I always regret the things that I didn't say that reflect my my own values or my own convictions, or opportunities that I let fall by the wayside, where I didn't say something, I didn't speak up. Certainly a tough one. Yeah, I mean, you right you you wrote on your questionnaire, fear and shame and guilt, and so true, right? There are there is a lot of fear that like conversations about money can ruin our relationship, or shame about filing from filing for bankruptcy, for instance, right? Like shame that you should not feel, but it probably does exist. And there are a lot of tough emotions in conversations about money. But again, to return back to that conversation about intent and impact, like consider, consider somebody's intentions when they're talking to you about money and they want nothing but the best for you. And not just the best for you, but the best for your kids. And your hypothetical kids and your hypothetical grandkids, right? Particularly as it relates to to finances.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And I can't stop thinking about the beginning of the conversation where you're saying, like, some people will say stuff and you'll just remember it forever. And I'm yeah. already like, this conversation that we're having, I'm like, oh, guilt is not useful. Like, okay, she's saying that and that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And I like what you're saying too about. The emotions that surround money because it is a reality too. And yeah. I just want any of our listeners to know that there are so many situations that are out of your control. Absolutely. That make you feel these emotions mm-hmm. and they're out of your control. Yeah. And that's one of the really yeah. tough realities. Yeah. I always say when I am out
1: in the community, especially talking about credit with yeah. a group, you know, and I'll get the question of, well, what's a good credit score? What's a bad credit score? And I always give the plug of when someone has a lower credit score, usually is what yes. I've learned in my years of lending experience is that some type of financial situation happened in their life, which caused them yes. to Absolutely. not be able to pay a bill or Absolutely. you know have it have a negative impact on their credit score. And I always like to say that, especially when I'm working with our younger generation, to try to... Relieve some of those stigmas around bad credit. You know, I mean, do people make decisions to poorly impact their credit?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: But a lot of times it's based off of
2: situations that have happened in their life. Yeah. And sometimes simply survival, right? Like, yeah, survival forced you into a bad choice because there was nothing but bad choices to make. Bad choices available. What was the lesser of the two evils in that? Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, I think. I I think there is no shame in having a bad credit score. I was just having this argument with my husband Who has bad credit, you know and who needs credit the most Right that 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 is not always that is often not your fault that you Cannot be individually blamed for again a system which is not designed to a system that is not designed to bring people in conditions of poverty to conditions of wealth. Like that's, that is not, that's not capitalism.
1: This has been amazing. I mean, really, if you think about what we wanted this season to be, this season is intentional living, family, finances, and health. And I feel like this conversation is so needed when you think about the things that are closest to you. Yes your family your finances and your health yes right yes and that comes with relationships and communications and it's the good
2: conversations and it's the tough conversations
1: Yeah. yeah so no this has been
2: great and I think the unfortunate part in terms of finances family and health is like we when things are good we take them for granted and it isn't until things are really bad that then we work on them and that's not the way it should be when you're you know like for instance when you're starting at a at a low place in your relationship you know it's it's hard to gain ground when you're already starting at baseline zero you know Um, the same is true about credit scores right when you're working on your credit you're probably working on your credit because it's already bad and it's already bad before you even knew that the system was designed for you to fail, right? Like I got a credit card in the mail at Central Michigan University before I even knew what a credit score was. That, my friends, is a problem. And not just one, not just two, but several. I, growing up, both my parents were deceased before I went to, well, my mom was deceased and she was my primary caregiver. So when I filed the FAFSA to get financial aid, I filed as an independent because I was independent and um, I got a lot of loan money. I got some scholarships, I got some grants and I got a lot of loan money. I got more loan money than I should have been given. And when you're a poor kid who grew up never being able to afford anything ever and someone gives you money, you don't think about how that thing that you bought is going to cost you a hundred times more than it did because you're buying it on borrowed money. You're just thinking, aha, I'm finally in a position where I can af- I can afford things. And that's capitalism, right? Like the system is designed for failure. And it's so important, so important. When I, I go to, you know, the McNair Scholars Program, which is a, it is a college program, a trio program that is designed to help first-generation low-income underrepresented folks go from the undergrad to the PhD because they rarely don't. I go back there as a graduate and one of the things that I always communicate to those students and when I go back to talk to the Latino Alumni Association students I, I say say no to the refund check if it's within your power to do so. For some of you that is not the financial situation that you're in it right now that's not your financial reality maybe you're even you know, bankrolling people who you shouldn't be bankrolling, right? Like maybe maybe you are cutting a check to your mom because your mom needs it, right? But if you can afford to, if you're in a position to say no to the refund check because that money is very expensive and very costly. One of the other things that I really struggle with as a college professor in the humanities is the fact that our... Students who graduate from our major usually average around thirty-five thousand dollars. Their first job is in the anywhere between thirty to forty thousand dollars. That degree costs more than this major will give to you sometimes, and I'm not saying some people do just fine with their comm degree and are. I mean we have alumni donating tons of money back to us. So some people do well, but on average, it's hard for me to encourage and recruit students to a major that I know is not gonna enable them to be able to pay off that debt. And it it is certainly my struggle. One of the conversations I just had with some administrators, or and I always bring up, is how are we gonna make this degree At Oakland University, more affordable to middle class and working class folks. College is so expensive and it has only gotten more and more expensive. In the 10 years that I've been teaching at Oakland, a degree today is 10 years more, right, than it was 10 years ago. And what, something's got to give. Because who's going to be able to afford to come to college, let alone afford to major in communication studies mm-hmm. which is a great field our students have a lot of fun they love the classes and it's I love teaching the classes it's what makes my heart soar, but it's unfortunate that like you know that the financial reality as a college graduate is so so financially bleak uh, it's tough yeah. but I mean maybe this is the practical piece of information that I hope to share is like you have to be willing to say the hard truth there I have to be willing to say things that are not in my university and my field's best interest like I have to say mm-hmm. the hard things to my students I have to say the hard truth to my to my family and my friends like you have to be willing to say hard truths that probably are not in your own best interest so that you can sleep at night and that you can look at yourself in the mirror and know that you're a good person, you did the right thing, you did the tough thing, the hurtful thing, but you did the right thing, right?
0: I appreciate that and I feel like I I don't know you, we just met today, but I feel like I know you more and I really appreciate that you're having those tough conversations with the administration and you're trying to be an advocate for future students, current students, the livelihood that they could potentially have and that's your intent is there to potentially and hopefully make a bigger impact for those students
2: I hope so thank you for saying that I really hope so but I you know there's only so much that's within my realm of control and this saying those hard truths is the only thing that I can control I don't control how much they have to pay for tuition but This is something that is within my realm of control. So
1: I love what you shared about being a college student up at Central and, you know, before you even knew what a credit score was, Um, getting all of those credit card, you know, pre qualifiers in the mail. And what stuck out to me was that's a driving force as to why Amanda and I do what we do and love what we do you know only 21 of our 50 states have a financial education requirement at Mm. the high school level and it's just Mm. kind of mind-blowing because you know I think about us I mean we didn't grow up and know how to balance a checkbook or write a check or what a budget was or a savings plan or anything else and You know, I always joke, especially with my high school students that I work with. And I'm like, I promise you may think this is boring, but you're going to remember this conversation that we had one day. And you're going to be like that lady that came into my classroom and taught me how to budget and showed me how to write a check and showed me how to do all of these important things, because it's heartbreaking to see people out here Mm -hmm. taking those, you know, college students utilizing those refund checks and not realizing that, yeah. I'm gonna go out and i'm gonna have a great time or i'm gonna go out or i'm gonna pay this or i'm gonna pay that or you know bankroll a family member or whatever and not realize that they're gonna pay that 10 times over over the course of trying to pay those student loans back um you know and knowing the importance of that so that definitely stood out for me and and hit me in my heart where you know my passion people like oh what do you do for a living well we teach financial education like wow more more kids need to know that and it's just you know
2: it's huge yeah and you know what always strikes me in terms of financial literacy too is like you don't even know what you need to know Mm -hmm. and you don't even know how little that you don't know you think you know how money works because you know you had a piggy bank and a cash register when you were a small child but you don't know there are so many things that you don't know and little things that you could know that could set you up for a world of success that you didn't even know you needed to learn. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, like in terms, I mean, I remember when I went to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? My human resources meeting when I was getting hired in and they were asking me how I want to invest my, do you want to invest in a 401k? Do you want this? Do you want a 401 blah, 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 blah. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. I am so lost and you want me to make this decision today. And I don't even know what the words you're using, even me, Mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, and that decision that I made 10 years ago could have cost, (laughs) you know, could have cost beyond my scope of imagination, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, whew, I had no idea. And I and I had a PhD, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I have spent a lot of years in college at that point. And what was missing is this piece that is huge, huge, right? Like, I mean, I think about all the time because of the courses that I teach, how many people around me can't afford to retire at all? cannot afford to retire. People who are closest to me, I know for certain that they are older than I am and they have nothing to save for retirement. That, that hurts. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. It also breaks my heart that there is this financial reality that exists that, you know, that people don't earn enough. You know, they don't earn enough to save. And they did everything right. They checked, I mean, look at teachers, look at the predicament that teachers are in. They did everything right. They followed their heart. They chose the passion, the, the passion career, right? Uh, they wanted to change the world and inspire each individual student. And now they can't afford to retire or they can't afford to be a homeowner something is wrong here and it is not about your individual choices that you did or did not make but it is about a system that is designed for you to fail and that's that's not right. Oh but I do want to say one one thing that I did prepare because I do think that it's it's helpful which is two two things about like just general tips when I teach the intro class, we use this textbook, with Sarah Trent Holmes, Thinking Through Communication, and one of the things that she says is such a very simple thing, but it's something that I think about all the time, which is like, in any communication interaction, you should be asking yourself what they call the four-way test, right? Is the thing that I'm going to say is it true? You know, is is it fair to everyone? and will it build goodwill will it strengthen and better my friendship or my relationship with this person and and is it a beneficial thing to say and so I think you know holding some maybe not the four-way test in those exact words but holding some some semblance of that I think is helpful in every communication interactions like you know is what I'm gonna say is it true is it to everybody's benefit you know, to return back to that conversation that we were having at the beginning, thinking through intent versus impact, like, you know, let me set aside what are my intentions here and think about for a moment, you know, what are the, some of the potential and in plausible interpretations in what I'm saying? Like, you know, having some level of, of of awareness about that, I think really just improves your everyday relationships with other people.
0: I really like that too. And I think I guess I'm learning and didn't realize, you know, we think of words and sometimes it's hard to think of words as being connected, but how true it is that how big of an impact communication has on the relationships that we have with everyone.
2: I mean, you know, my, I have a brother and he always makes fun of my PhDs, like getting a PhD in communication is like getting a PhD in walking. I'm like, first of all, what's your PhD in? Mm, mm, How about that? And then second of all, like if that were true, that communication was so easy. Why are so many people so bad at it? If it were true, why can you think about people who are awful communicators without much trouble at all? And then how can you think about moments in time when you really just appreciated someone doing the most Simple, basic, free thing, which is listening to you, giving someone the gift of being heard. Like it's very simple and it costs you nothing. And think about how good it feels to be heard, to be seen. You know, why can't we be more intentional about doing these things that cost us absolutely nothing? You know, listening to people. Uh, being truthful with them, right? Communicating with people. I mean, uh, one of the things that I do is deliver Meals on Wheels. I, I actually came from Meals on Wheels to here, and that's why I was so early sitting in the parking lot. But but it's not about the meals at all. It's about the conversations that, we, that I have with these seniors who have very little social interaction with anybody. And so they value little social interactions so so much, and I mean that that's something again that's something that's free for us to do, costs us nothing to just like listen to somebody to make them feel heard and listened to, um, and to be seen, you know. I love that. Thank you
1: the little things it is it's a being seen being heard it's all goes back to that impact
2: yeah
0: thank you so much for coming on the podcast today i definitely feel like this is going to be a really great episode for our listeners and i think it will be very helpful for them to listen to it and learn something new about communication that you've shared with us today Well, I
2: feel like I've been very heard and listened to, so I really appreciate you guys giving that to me. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. And now it's time for the CU Spotlight. MSU, Federal Credit Union, and OU Credit Union don't just sponsor this podcast. We believe in investing in the community. We have recently established another way of helping, the Desk Drawer Fund, a foundation supporting the MSU-FCU and OU Credit Union communities. The Desk Drawer Foundation focuses on five philanthropic
1: pillars, arts and culture, stable housing, empowering youth, financial education, and fostering entrepreneurialism. If you'd like to learn more about the foundation or donate, please visit deskdrawerfund.org. Wallet Watch is written, hosted, and produced by Amanda Kahn and me, Jessica Rubio. Our executive producers are
0: Ariana Saldana and Lauren Kolarczyk. Wallet Watch is brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our credit union's website, financial40.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in our next episode.